Children of all ages, welcome to the Conspiracy Castle. I am your conspiracy asshole, Prime Time 99, Alex Stein, on the grind all the time. And it doesn't matter how unique and special that I think I am. And then I meet a man like Christian Watson. I meet a man, I think there's no unicorns. Alex, you're the most unique man. And then I meet a man like Christian. And Christian, I have to say, it's such a pleasure to have you on my show. But the reason why you're such a special man, and I don't want to define you as this, but as a gay black conservative, can I, is that is that a correct description? Sure, that is, sure, I'm sure. saying I'm saying you are a unicorn. You break every rule that they want us to follow, and I think you are a trailblazer and a awesome human human being for being able to walk proudly in your truth, especially in a culture. Listen, I'm I'm very uh, connected to the black community. The gay people are demonizing the black community. You know, it's very tough to be an openly gay man. So that is a, is a, is a hard cross to bear. And on top of that, you're a conservative man that's outspoken. So, and I appreciate uh, your well-spokenness. I think you're a good representation of, of what's right and good in the world. So I want to say with all that, thank you for coming on the castle and thank you for being such a unique, uh, badass individual, Christian. Well, that's high praise. And I, I, I'm, I'm not someone who, who typically, knows how to embrace praise as part of the humility that's been instilled upon me by both my upbringing and my studying of philosophy. Because really, Alex, I am simply a vessel. I'm a vessel for something greater than I, a vessel for something greater than me. Um, I was having this discussion with a few folks recently. I, I sometimes have a philosophy. I, I, I have a philosophy discussion group in real life that I go to. And I was mentioning that, you know, I see myself as subordinate to a greater moral duty. And that moral duty comes before my, even my own, my own betterment, even though I believe that moral duty is a link to my betterment. But it's not about me. It's about treating others with kindness. It's about protecting other people's rights in so many ways. It's about practicing decorum. It's about making sure good taste reign in society so bad taste don't take us off the prize. It's about all kind of things with me in my, both my political life and my personal life. And so I, I don't, I don't take any of the credit, but I'm very happy that you have the praise. So thank you. I appreciate it. 
Well, you do hold yourself to a high moral standard. Are politicians obligated to hold themselves to a higher yes. moral standard than a citizen, or are they no. obligated just the same? No, just the same. Well, I agree. Okay. I think just the same. Just the same. Just the same. So just because you have a elevated status does not mean the moral rules apply differently to you. Obviously, the moral rules manifest differently for you, right? So if you have some Joe Schmo who lives in a trailer following the moral rule, he's going to run into some very different situations. And if you have the president of the United States who has the nuclear football at his disposal, and right now we have someone who has a nuclear football who should not have be anywhere near any kind of football, much less a nuclear football. Um, so, yes, no, they're, they're obligated exactly the same, exactly the same way. You know, and, and the thing is, Joe Biden obviously is some sort of shadow guy. I don't even think he could press a button on a, on a bomb. You know what I mean? And, and, and I, this is what I believe, Christian. This is get real conspiracy. To start, they say the nuclear bomb, we split the atom. You know, I believe we have big bombs. Trump dropped the, they call it Moab, the mother of mm-hmm. all bombs. You know, I, I, and they tell us that they have these bombs that can blow the world over a million times over and that there'd be nothing left but some cockroaches. I don't know if they can necessarily do that. I know I know a lot of people think they can. The military industrial complex would like to think that they can. And I'm sure they have some big bombs. I'm not saying that we don't have big bombs. I'm just saying the way that they just like that, they, they kind of make us afraid of North Korea. You know, oh, they could have nuclear weapons. Oh, Iraq. They could. Yeah, they got they they're not going to have a bomb that's going to be able to go from Iraq and do something to us. But they want to instill that fear. And so I think we kind of do the same thing. We say, oh, we got these nuclear bombs that are so big and bad. They're probably not as big and bad as they say they are, Christian. I, I firmly believe that. Is that crazy? You're hitting on something very interesting. So let's make some distinctions here. First, I do. You think nuclear weapons absolutely exist. I wish they didn't. I wish they were a myth. I wish they were a delusion. In fact, if they were did not exist, I would sleep easier at night. But unfortunately, nuclear weapons do exist. The experiments that happened back in the 40s, and we have dropped them on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and we've seen the nuclear fallout still have impacts today. I mean, unfortunately, they do exist. Now, I do think that the threat of a nuclear state, whether it be a nuclear Iran a few years ago or a nuclear Korea, North Korea right now, is definitely overblown for geopolitical purposes. Yeah. When a country comes into possession of a nuclear missile, there was a concept back in the 80s that still applies today called MAD, mutually assured destruction. It's part of the reason why the Soviet Union didn't blow in the United States and Bush other up. It's because both countries want to exist so they can ensure their political dreams are realized. And that principle of self-interest, which really guides all human interactions, applies exactly the same nation states. And so no matter how much North Korea saber rattles or, or, or kicks and screams, if they had a nuclear weapon, they wouldn't do anything with it, really. And then they actually, they actually they do have a nuclear weapon, I think. But they, yeah. they don't have the capability to shoot it off to America. And Iran wouldn't have the capability to shoot it off to America either. But the argument is always, well, our allies would be in danger. Well, look. I'm tired of the United States being subordinated to the goals of, of other people that we've been footing the, the bill for for a very long time. We basically came, we, we went to Japan. Not only did we nuke Japan, we also firebombed Japan. We leveled Tokyo. We killed a lot of innocent people in our attempt to show Hirohito who's boss. And we put Japanese saying, in camp in, in America. We put them in camps in America. We put them in camps in America. Exactly. So we did a lot of cool things, the Japanese people, that we should not have done whatsoever. And America has paid reparations for that. And for that case, since it was near and it was recent and the, and the victims are actually alive or were alive, that's fine, right? I think the reparations for slavery is entirely different. And folks try to equiva- make an equivalency between, between the two, and there really is no equivalency. But that's my original point. We've been we've seen a lot of militaristic cruelty towards the Japanese. And 
since the 40s with the MacArthur plan, we have been in the, we have been in Japan funding their military, funding everything. And now Japan's basically self-sufficient. Well, their population's dying off because they didn't let any immigrants in. But that's a different story. No one's having babies. But Japan's essentially self-sufficient in terms of military. And yet the United States is still giving them billions upon billions of dollars. So perhaps our, our commitment to our quote-unquote allies wasn't a good idea in the first place, and therefore it's illegitimate. Or maybe it was a good idea in the first place, but it's no longer legitimately, it's no longer necessary for us to have that commitment. We should withdraw. These commitments do not bind us eternally to perpetual conflict, whether that be geopolitical conflict or, or physical military conflict. These commitments, most of them are not even made in terms of in writing. They're just made by one president and then other presidents have the obligation to hold those commitments. And it just perpetuates from generation after generation after generation. It is the bind of tradition. Tradition is not necessarily a bad thing, Alex. Tradition can be a good thing if tradition itself is primed towards good actions. So if, if there's a tradition that says you should not lie, cheat, or steal, well, those actions are correct, regardless of if your grandmother had been saying it for 100 years or your great-grandmother said it for 100 years. But the tradition reinforces the practice of that action because sometimes human beings need familiarity to be able to cling on to particular actions. Tradition is good. But if the tradition says that we have an obligation to spread democracy around the world, which was the entire idea of the manifest destiny, and we have an obligation to ensure that bad actors are defeated on the world stage through economic coercion, through military coercion or whatever, we should evaluate the, the merits of those positions independent of the tradition. But the problem is the tradition is what so many are holding on to. You know, and it's just so weird to See, leftists, people, people who side of the political spectrum have been traditionally opposed to militarism, traditionally opposed to military industrial complex, coming out and saying that if you don't want to send military troops over to Ukraine, you are a puppet for Putin. That is just an absolute contradiction of the values that they used to have. And number two, it's, a, it's evidence but they don't hate tradition as much as they see, might think they do. They actually like tradition very much if the tradition furthers their narrow worldview. That's the problem we're dealing with right now. Yeah, but Christian, I'm I'm, I'm anti war. Why do we have to have war? Why? I mean, you know, I mean, I know that's you know, I agree. Me, I mean, call me a flower child or whatever they call it. I I still don't understand why we have to have conflict interaction. Why as human beings? This is the philosophical mindset I'm saying. Why is human beings, not animals, I get why two deers get their horns crangled up together and they can't get it out or whatever. I don't understand why you and me, Christian, even if I hated you with every ounce of my body, I don't want you dead. I don't, you know what I mean? Why can't you and I come to an understanding where I don't want to kill you? Like, why do, why can't we live in a peaceful, utopic society? Why is war a necessary evil? Because the military industrial complex takes the majority of money that actually could solve issues, whether you're conservative or not. I mean, they could be put towards toward social issues that would help society instead of constant, uh, uh, like you said, our moral obligation to spread democracy. Yeah, freaking right, dude. Well, you asked an interesting question. Why do we need to have a war? I don't think that war is necessary in some cases. Well, okay, I don't think the existence of war is necessary to ensuring peaceable human relationships. The idea that it is comes from a guy, well, it doesn't come from him, but he really harped on this point. It's a guy called Thomas Hobbes. 
And Thomas Hobbes, most people who've studied civics and social studies will have he's mentioned like for like a day, you know, they move past him like this mediocre education system does, like with all great thinkers, they just move past them. And it's a them for a day, then move past them, not just exploring them. Hobbes had this idea that human beings in the presence of just themselves, with no government, no civil society, nothing, are in a perpetual state of war. He said that the state of nature, which is what he called the state with no government, is nasty, brutish, and short. That's basically the famous quote that, he, that people tend to use from him. And so he, he extended that premise to mean that human beings need a monarch to rule over them or a dictator to rule over them and subject them to strict laws to uh, retain their impulses. Well, there are a bunch of other thinkers who were um, Hobbes' contemporaries that say, no, 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 no. The state of nature is actually a state of peace. But there are some bad actors in that state of nature. And for that purpose, the government is necessary. And so this is what the guy behind me right here, right here, this guy, among my favorites right here, John Locke, what he argued. But no, the state of nature is actually not a state where we're necessarily mean or evil to each other. I mean, and you could even see this principle play out in, in reality. So whenever there's a hurricane or a bad storm and you're at an intersection that has lights, what happens? Do people tend to just go and smash each other? Not really. What happens is the cars watch each other. One set of cars goes, other set of cars goes, and people just feel the rhythm of the situation. Now, if human beings were all going to default to violence and anger and death and brutishness, you would expect all the cars to be going and smashing each other and like, Go cars in the street, and the insurance companies don't like that. That'd be terrifying for anyone else. So that doesn't happen. Even in absence of a coercive force there to stabilize our relations, human beings tend to default to peace. Of course, the, like, well, we, but we Christian. But the thing, like racism does exist, but like they even did a study where they had they rang a bell and everybody stood up in like a doctor's office and everybody does it. We all kind of just get along to go along, you know? That's what I mean. Yes, there is some, there is some, you know, preconceived notions and some hatred in the world, but really in a room, we'll kind of all just get along for the greater good because really I think we're all mainly populist. It's not this like, of course, there's some bad apples, like you said, but I think generally, I think human beings are, you know, not what they paint us as. On the media or television. Precisely. And this is the point about war. War does not exist or should never have existed as a means to stabilize and conduct human relationships. Unfortunately, for the past 70 or so plus years, probably longer than that, in the West, war has served that purpose. Whether it be with Desert Storm, whether it be in Kosovo, whether it be in Libya, whether it be in Kuwait in the early 90s, whether it be in um, uh, all the places the United States sent weapons to in the Cold War, whether it be in Iraq and Afghanistan, the more infamous, whether it be in Syria, regardless of where it is, war has been used as a means to facilitate human relationships. And it's a perversion because human relationships are built upon trust and dialogue. There's probably more principles that human relationships are built upon, but for the sake of this conversation, let's start with those first two. Trust and dialogue. So trust is not even presumed these days, which is part of the problem. Because if you can't even presume that you trust someone, not nor should you, but this used to happen, then how can you operate with them in full faith that they're going to do well? So how do you create trust? Well, you got to talk. Well, how do you talk when you have a country saying that we're going to drop 
bombs on you. We're going to attack your facilities with cyber attacks. We're going to do, we're going to cripple you economically if you do X, Y, and Z. You don't, you don't, you don't have that. And yet that threat has been used with Putin. And guess what? I'm not a fan of Putin whatsoever. I think the guy is a horrible human being, but we're just talking about the facts here. Biden has said that he was going to cripple Putin if he did something that he didn't want him to do, which is advance on Ukraine. Well, that's a great way to make him not want to do that, right? You're tempting him at that point. Yeah, but, but, you know, but Christian, wow. Christian, now they want the $100 billion. Wasn't this all just a bluff for money? Was this just all a scam? They just rope-a-dope Biden into thinking? In terms of Russia? In terms uh, of Ukraine, now all of a sudden this money will buy us peace? Isn't that a little sketchy yeah, in your opinion? Yeah, yeah. No, so I, this entire situation, I think, was, an, was, a, was a psychological operation by Putin. To get the West on, because when the West is focused on Putin, when they're focused on what he's doing, they're not focused on other things. They're not focused on building relationships with themselves. They're not focused on making sure their economies are okay. They're not focused on internal matters. They're focused on him. And so while they're focused on him, he can be focused on other things. He can be focused on his economic relationships, his partnerships, his things, which allows him to build up Russia's internal strength while sapping the West of their own. It's a game that he is playing to psychologically and spiritually drain the leaders and the people of the West of their peace so that he can build it up in his country. So when he's really ready to make a move, he'll be able to do so on a minute's notice. He won't, he won't have the demoralization issues that we have. He won't have the conflicts and such that we have. He'll just be able to do it like that. It's a psychological operation, psychological warfare. When you put 100,000 plus troops on the border of another country, but you know that going into that is going to destroy your economy. Putin's not a, he, Putin is making, he's not a masochist. He's not going to actually do it, but he's going to do everything he can to keep the attention fixed on him for as long as possible, make people as scared as possible. And that's precisely what he did throughout this entire thing. He had Western nations seriously considering sending troops to, to, to protect and preserve Ukraine. Which shows that he has a, a, a very good grip on how we talk to each other. So that's what I was saying. If human relations are based on trust and dialogue, and we've skipped dialogue, we've gone towards threats, which are not at all dialogue, they're, they're coercive, which we, we did in the Ukraine situation, then you can make human relationships, this is the secret, break down and devolve to states of Britishness, i.e. war. See? You can, when you revoke those two basic principles, you can cause our entire way we interact with each other to be messed up and to go to a way that absolutely is not rational in most cases. Now, there are exceptions to this um, claim. When someone attacks your homeland, you have to respond. You have a moral obligation to respond. How you respond is a different issue. The United States have to go into Japan and firebomb like almost all all the cities in Japan and destroy it. No, we didn't have to do that. What we could have done, we could have just gone in, sent it like a, a hit squad to take out Hirohito, um, and then maybe did some uh, operations against Japanese military installations and left, 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 left it at that. So what we did, we went in with our army, we firebombed basically the entire country, dropped two nukes on them, had a lot of collateral damage, and then we went in, went into Europe, you know, ushered in this sort of very long era of the Cold War and NATO and entangling alliances. Just a bunch of crap happened that didn't have to happen. So we have an obligation to respond to attacks. But if the actor is, is not necessarily a centralized actor, as was the case with Al-Qaeda 9-11, then you have even more questions to answer. Because, right, 
they claimed credit for 9-11, but instead of saying, okay, we're going to go after Al-Qaeda particularly, we have this sunset date right here, we have this amount of um, weapons right here we're going to use for them. No, it was like, we're going to destroy terror. And instead of actually um, designating a target, they passed what is called an authorization for the use of military force, which gives the president the ability to, to rain terror on anyone who he deems as a terrorist. It's the same thing legitimized Barack Obama's incursion into Libya. It's the same thing legitimized Bush's incursion into Iraq after he thought Afghanistan was going to be enough. It's the same exact thing. When Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with anything, it's and are the you, same are thing. Are you familiar with Muammar Gaddafi in Libya? You know, he was one of the best leaders. Supposedly, yes, we you funded know, him. His, his we people, funded him. I know, but I'm saying people loved Muammar Gaddafi. As a matter of fact, he brought in, yeah. he created a, a water system for Northern Africa that, that you know, uh, gave millions of people water. And Hillary yeah. Clinton sent bombs and blew that up. She yes. blew up yes. water yeah. damned to people that were thirsty. Yes. That is only an evil, human, yes. sick monster would do that. Yes. yes, I agree. And look, look. People act as if there's some you, you can't condemn the character flaws of someone, uh, you know, one of these leaders without, you know, um, not going ahead and destroying them. Right. Gaddafi was also I think he was a brutal dictator, just like Saddam was. These, these guys were not nice people. I mean, if you look at what they did to their own people. They were not nice people. Now, they are both. Um, I, I mean, Gaddafi did some humanitarian things, right? But he was still a very brutal person. Yeah, but sure. But uh, any but, any authoritarian leader like that is going to be probably considered brutal. You probably kind of have yeah, to because you go. But still, we shouldn't well, have uh, tr- no, done no, what we, we did to him. And because another thing is, he wanted to take his oil reserves off the American dollar and put right. it on the uh, the African uh, donor or what is Africa with Africa? Right. And that, that also made America. Yeah. And so I mean, it just he had a lot of reasons why America didn't like him. And then and Hillary Clinton, when asked about it, said. We came. He saw. He died. She's like, oh, yeah. about it. it's just, it's just weird. Why, and, do, why is it our problem to go take these people out? It's ridiculous. And, and, and the reasoning was so weird because I remember exactly where I was when Barack Obama announced he were going into Libya. I think I was in Walmart, and I think I, <laughs> I, I, I think I saw the announcement on a TV that was in a beauty salon. I was about what eleven or twelve years old, and I think he was saying he said. And we cannot sit idly by while a brutal dictator kills people and says, you will not, I will give you no mercy. That's exactly what Barack Obama said. Almost exactly to the word from what I can remember. That's what he said. We cannot sit by by some brutal leader. I mean, oh, my God. So we have to be funded. We yeah. funded in trade for for a while. Yeah, yeah. Osama bin Laden was a was a CIA asset. I mean, they called yeah. him Tim yeah, Osmond. Yeah. He benefited from training for uh, Mulatto. He did. Yes. So he I mean, and then and now oh, we oh. say he's the worst terrorist in the world. I mean, you know, I'm a 9/11 truther. I believe it was orchestrated by people within our own government, people within Israel's oh. government, and Saudi Arabia. All in order to start I know about all that, Don. I, know, I know you that. don't know about that, but listen. And, but this is the, the this is what this is where it came out of. I know you don't have to agree with that. The project for a new American century, the PNAC, which is also signed by Joe Biden, which is a bipartisan, literally act. I mean, this is no conspiracy. Are you familiar with the PNAC at all? Uh-uh. What, Christian, my no, man? I'm not familiar with oh, the Oh, dude, this is real. This is real. Before even before 9/11 happened, there was this bill that got signed. It's basically it was the uh, it was the you know the syllabus to the Patriot Act. You know, it was kind of like the groundwork, the architecture yeah, of it. And it was called the Project for New American Century, the PNAC, and it was signed by you know, you, like I said, it was a bi you know bipartisan. Uh, both parties liked the bill. That uh, Joe Biden was like one of the bigger names on it. 
And uh, it basically was a plan to destabilize what they thought future terror could come from. These se- It just happened to be these seven biggest countries in the Middle East besides Israel and Saudi Arabia. You know, whatever. That's just, that's just how it works out. It's like, the, I guess you look at the 10 biggest countries and, you know, I think Saudi Arabia and Iraq are the only two that they didn't, uh, you know, uh, go and try to um, invade or, you know, I guess uh, d- democratize or whatever you want to call it, what we do. In, in, uh, well, so Saudi Arabia is one of the United States biggest benefactors. Well, of course. But what I'm saying is, is, is regardless, when it comes to 9-11, it created this mindset where it tricked everybody into being like, we're going to fight the war on terror. We're going to, we're going to, you know, give up all of our rights in order to protect us from terrorism. And that's what we're under now, though, Christian, is where like you, they're going to say you're a black, white supremacist, like a Dave Chappelle sketch. I have, I have been called that before. And that's what I'm saying. They're saying white people are the new Al Qaeda is what they've created with all the groundwork with the Muslim terrorism stuff. So what do you think about that? And that's why, that's why. You, can you imagine, guys, that you're out there, people have been called a lot of stuff, I'm sure. You've never been called a black white supremacist. That's one of the lowest things a person could accuse somebody of being. And they throw it around, no problem. Uh, and it's so false. You know what I mean, Christian? It's so false. Like, you yeah. know, you, obviously you have no white supremacy, you know, whatsoever. Uh, but you realize that, you know, you're based in reality is how I describe you. And they'll say that you're a white supremacist. I just can't believe that is actually thrown out there in the proper in proper society. Like it's not a big deal. So this is you get accusations. Okay, accusations of white supremacy are built on a very strange foundation, and this is the foundation which attributes which 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 tries to create ethical judgments from appearances. Aspects. It's very weird. So it tries to assign something special about a phenotypical characteristic, about melanin, about something. And then after they've assigned that something special, whether it be typically it's what that characteristic is quote unquote associated with throughout history. So whether it be typically it's slavery, typically it's oppression, if you're black, uh, typically it's a colonial colonialization. If you're Indian, typically it's uh, power or privilege if you're British or any European or any white European person. And then they try to say, okay, since that is true, since how they look confers a particular set of qualities about these people, we can make this an ethical judgment about them. Okay, you may be black, but the white folks in power have believed X, Y, and Z for a very long time, and you're a teetotaler for what they believe. Therefore, you're advancing white supremacy. Even if you don't look white or not white whatsoever, that's how the logic goes. Well, the problem is this reasoning falls apart very simply. If you simply recognize the fact that how someone looks is does not confer any special quality or thing about them, right? Uh, unless you're talking about clothing style, but I'm talking about physical ingrained appearance. And that's, that's not really well, Christian, amendable. I, want, but, I, want, I don't want to cut you off, but I do believe in systemic racism and I do believe our private prisons have been filled up with nonviolent drug offenders and I don't think uh, that's an accident. Uh, but well, go ahead. Well, yeah, and I'm I, sure I, you don't disagree with that. I, well, I think the second, the, second, the second claim you made is correct. I don't think systemic racism exists, okay. per se, as it is talked about. I, I don't, I I don't think, think it's that, like as it's talked about, but I think it's, it's talked about. It's, it's but, like, these days, it's not even about the intention. It's about who's, who it impacts. And if you're going to really understand racism at its core root, it is a matter of intention. Racism is a value system. Racism is not merely an action. 
<laughs> but but these folks like Kendi have made it entirely in action. And therefore, anytime a black person is in distress, that has to be seen as racism, regardless of what put them in distress, even if it was by their own doing. But about private prisons, the moment justice which is a universal principle, becomes subordinate to profit, we have lost something very important in our society. We have mollified and destroyed what justice actually means. So I think private prisons are absolutely evil. They're disgusting. They ought to be outlawed, in my opinion. Uh, not, and I'm not, I'm not trying to say the federal government runs prisons much better. As we've seen with the January 6th people, the, the federal government does not, really, does not really care very much about ethics in terms of prison. But at least there's a set of procedures and a process that you can theoretically use to correct the government's management of certain things. That doesn't even exist for our prisons. It's not a problem. It doesn't exist. They're incentivized to have people in there. And when you have this, this grotesque private-public partnership of in, the, in the business of getting prisoners, you're going to have a lot of incarceration. You're going to have a lot of things that happen. Well, let me good. give you a diet conspiracy. This is just diet. I won't get too deep with you. Uh, but in, in the late 80s and 90s, there's multiple meetings, clandestine meetings, where guys would come up in dark suits and supposedly say all these record executives are there. And they'd say, we want you to create music that influences people to create uh, you know, uh, domestic violence and sell drugs and glamorize uh, a lifestyle of drugs and violence because all of your record labels are the biggest investors in our private prison industry. And this is supposedly leaked from record people have said this, that they had multiple meetings where they said, we want you to influence a lot, you know, a degenerate, degenerative lifestyle. And, and there's a reason why is because we have private prisons we want filled up. Now you can say that's fake, you know, that's just rapper rumors or whatever, but the way they put up degeneracy in music and culture, it all comes out of like the Tavistock Institute. Like they know, they know what melodies are going to be popular. They can basically manufacture pop stars like little Nas X and stuff and like weaponize, uh, this, this, these things against us. And so they can really turn this propaganda and make young black people think it's so cool to sell drugs and then literally fill up our prison with, with nonviolent drug offenders. I think that is like, call me conspiracy tinfoil hat all you want. I think that is problem reaction solution all day long. And I think that's almost like a provable fact, in my opinion. Well, Alex, and look, here's, and here's my thing about, and I'll just address this the, the, whore, the, the elephant in the room about conspiracies. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that as a radical truth seeker, I have an obligation to entertain all claims, no matter how ostensibly outlandish, to determine their truth value, whether these are claims that are orthodox or unorthodox. I'm not a dismissive person. So I don't just look at something and say, oh, that's a conspiracy theory. It's, let's just dismiss it. Cause that's when you get into some problems. Well, that was, cre- things- it was the, the term was created by the CIA during the JFK assassination in order to demonize people looking into the official story. Whether you're a conspiracy theorist or not, that is the official story where that term comes from. So yeah, I, I, I just, I, I don't, I, I don't embrace that kind of, uh, what we call in philosophy, we call it epistemology. I don't embrace that kind of knowledge. Epistemology. Tell me more about epistemology real quick. You know, tell me epistemology more about is just the study of knowledge. It's how do we, so it starts with a few questions. How do we get our knowledge? Where do we get it from? How can we um, discern knowledge from truth? These are sort of basic fundamental questions about how we know things. Epistemology is all over that. And there's a bunch of philosophers that have different theories. Some are what are called empiricists, like to see, extract knowledge through observation. Okay, I can see this. 
those set of things happen here. This must be the truth. Then there's also the rationalists who say, well, I don't need to see anything. I can just deduce it all in my head. And those people have caused a lot of problems, in my opinion. <laughs> um, so I mean, those, those, are the, those are the Marxists. Not, well, not, not all rationalists are Marxists. I'm not saying that, but like Marxists are anyway. So yeah, that's epistemology for you. But um, back to um, the thing. So I, the, the evolution of hip hop is really interesting. Do I think there was a push from high record executives to have a grittier, grimier music that represents urban culture? Of course there was. And I think that anyone, any, any music historian who is worth their salt would admit that. But it's not because they wanted to create or they created a situation in which that narrative was true. It's because that narrative was already true. You already had record high levels of gang and drug violence, like drain, gang crime and drug crime in black communities throughout America since the 70s. I mean, hell, if you want to talk about um, uh, a lot of the crime was situated around the Nixonian uh, brutal drug laws that were adhered to and acquiesced by by members of the black community, like Charles Rangel of New York was on one of Nixon's drug panels that actually gave him a lot of feedback on how to punish drug crime. And people are like that, you know, the disparity between crack and powder cocaine was made by racist folks. No, it was made by a bunch of bunch of authoritarian black leftists, actually, who wanted to control the community and wanted to instill a certain wanted to instill virtue through force. Well Kayla loved the, the, the three strikes. I'm just saying she used right. to, that didn't yes, help black people. Loved three strikes. She yeah. loved it. She loved it. So a lot of the infrastructure we have around drugs in the country, a lot of the legal infrastructure is actually due to the actions of black legislators. And that is not to say that we need to begin looking at these things on a racial basis. That is to say that the race doesn't matter. It's the value system that matters. If someone wants to lock someone up for peacefully taking a substance that only impacts their body and goes into their body, I don't care whether they're black, green, yellow, or purple. That person is an immoral person and i want them nowhere near the levers of power so i don't like this conversation about how a certain action is bad because it was okay to white supremacy or black supremacy i don't like that because actions in of themselves mean something it means something when you think you can cause your fellow man to act better by putting a gun to his head and forcing him that that means something and it doesn't mean anything racial either it means something that is as old as time it goes to the very core and the very root of human relationships it addresses universal moral principles that means something but so often in our politics we get so distracted by that because we're doing what i just said we did we look at appearances we look at aesthetics we don't actually concentrate on substance and that's the problem sorry i'm not trying to no i love it you're in the soapbox i got the camera zoomed in on you you know you're dominating but we don't we don't we don't uh, the content of our character we don't judge people on that anymore uh right it's the problem well, even and the MLK quote is used a lot. It's used quite a lot. And it's overused, what left, right? <laughs> what the leftists like to do, like to say, okay, well, MLK was at a worker strike. He was. MLK was very skeptical of capitalism. Very. He was very skeptical of capitalism. Towards the end of his life, he was sound a lot like Michael, a lot like Malcolm X. Excuse me. Well, real quick, like, real quick about capitalism, though, I want to get your opinion on this. This is what I don't understand. Why yeah. does insulin? I always say this costs two hundred dollars in in Dallas and two dollars in Mexico. You know, it, uh, it, I mean, well, we, we know that. But I'm saying we know the pharmaceutical company is going to make money. People have to buy medicine. People die, right. get sick. So the quality of the product, you can get a lot of things cheap in Mexico. <laughs> That's what I like. I like that cheap Mexican stuff. It's good. That's why I said the value not, is so good. Not disparaging Mexicans at all. I I, I love my Mexican people. Me I, too. I love everyone. But 
you can get a lot of things cheap in Mexico. Mexico has a lot of systemic problems down there with the government being in bed with the cartel. Yeah, but it's not just Mexico. A lot of other countries have recently priced uh, uh, therapeutic drugs you're that right. are normal, that over-the-counter, right. I mean, <laughs> whatever. I mean, dude, why are they hogging all the insulin, Christian? I don't care what capitalist mindset. They should – that – like, listen, I'm in the car yeah. business, and, and I don't like the government at all jacking with me one bit. But one thing they make me do, they make sure that I sell a car either with an as-is, telling them there could be issues with it, and these are the issues, or I sell, uh, you know, uh, with a – no check engine with a uh, right. clean inspection. You know what I'm saying? Like I actually had to take care of it and they do that to protect the customer. I don't think that's necessarily that bad. Like the government, they, I, they charge me too much in taxes, but the only rules they follow, it's not too many rules, but I'm saying that is to protect the seller. So some government interaction, the government's in too much, but some of it is a little good. I'm saying, you know, it can't benefit us, but I think with the military industrial complex, I think we have this, we need a real reallocation of our funds could solve our problems. We have it all messed well, up. We're all screwed yeah, yeah. up. Yeah, so, so there's two things. Let's, let's finish on the insulin part. There are places that have cheaper insulin, and there's a lot of places that have it that are socialized medicine places, have socialized healthcare too. And everything's cheaper. Hell, everything's almost everything's quote unquote free if you're not looking at your tax table. But so I think that the American healthcare system is fundamentally broken. And if you allow people to even go up, apply their healthcare across different states, if you limited the state line thing, or it costs different countries even, you would see the prices go down dramatically. The problem is pharmaceutical companies have been behind almost every major legislative push relating to healthcare in recent history. Do you think people that's think accidental? Obamacare, you think that's accidental? <laughs> no, it's not. People think Obamacare was for the people. It was written by the insurance company. And it was dressed up with the appearance of a socialized medicine thing. No, it wasn't. So, I mean, there are a lot of things you can do in America to substantially reduce the prices of things that do not involve anti-market price controls and things like that, but actually involve allowing people to organically do things. But the system is so constrained and bound by regulation that it's just the costs are exorbitant. Now, about um, you were you're mentioning uh, you mentioned something else as well. What did you mention? What did I even mention? I don't you, even remember. You mentioned, reallocation of our... Oh, you, mean, you mentioned regulation of things, government yeah. regulation. So, so you sell cars, right? Use cars. cars. I'm in the wholesale business, so I'll give you an instant cash offer. You got a car, you can send me a few pictures and the mileage and the VIN, and I'll give you an instant cash offer. Uh, and I sell them at the uh, auction because I don't like retail selling cars because, like, if you sell a car to somebody, it goes bad. They'll come back a year later and cuss you out. I've been yelled at. And so it's, I just like to sell it to other dealers at the auction. I don't have to worry about it. So I'm kind of a car shark. I, I buy a lot of cars. Um, well, if I'm, if I'm in the market, I'll definitely contact you, Mr. Let, I'll give you some good advice. I'll steer you in the right direction. But yeah. I, I've seen every kind of scam has been pulled on me, this and that. And I, I'm saying a lot of these dealers obviously can still scam the system and give people fake whatever. You right. know, I mean, they, they, there's always some. But I guess the little bit of government interaction, like I said, I don't want them all up in myself. But a little right. bit is okay, I so, guess. I mean, you know. Yeah, uh, I want to address that. But, but like so, the libertarian mindset is like nothing. And I guess I kind of would like that too, but – like no, I can, yeah, well, I'm saying we do need some sort of government interaction. That's based in reality. It's just how oh, it works, you know? I agree. I mean, and this is why I'm not an anarchist. I've had a lot of friends who I love dearly who are anarchists. I don't – I reject that worldview entirely. That is not my worldview. There are some wicked people in this world who uh, – some of them have a lot of money, and some of them will be able to buy out every single thing in a, quote-unquote, entirely privatized system. Um, you know, whether you have privatized police, they'll be able to buy out police force. I, I don't – I don't. So you have to have some kind of government. Plus, I don't believe that human society 
you can have human society without eventually having one centralized force. Anarchists always say that there will be a bunch of separate communities doing their own thing and just voluntarily working together. But there's eventually going to be one bigger community that keeps growing and growing and growing. And eventually that community will become the state, the government. So I don't I don't think anarchism even works out historically or methodologically. But I don't. But about the car thing, though, there are a lot of areas of the government is where it need not be. Not saying that it doesn't need to be anywhere. It should be in many places. It should be in many places, in my opinion. Contracts, torts, military, you know, police to a certain I mean, there's, there's, there's places where government can be. Fine. But let's talk about the car thing. So used car salesmen, as you already know, have a bad rap. In fact, a lot of people avoid used car salesmen because they're afraid about the quality of the product they're going to get. Okay. Well, because no used car salesman can guarantee the history of any car. You know what I mean? You're reselling a car that you might not know. So, like, right. No. The Carfax is the Carfax is okay, but there's a ways you can have a Carfax where it's never accidents happen all the time. They're never reported insurances. Right. Carfax is not foolproof. One. You're right. You're right. You're right. So, okay. Here's the thing: the skepticism towards used car salesmen does not come from a government regulation. That comes from people interacting with used car salesmen over the years and stereotypes being formed. Yeah, look so at here's me. My thing. <laughs> I think people are smart than we give them credit for. Most people don't want to have the pain of driving, of getting a car that's going to cause them problems, going to have a limit. That's why people pay for these car services to tell them exactly what's happened with the car. And people go through all kinds of crazy things to make sure their car is okay. The government doesn't have to tell you to do that. Now, there are some unfortunate poor souls who, even with government help, still don't have any common sense, still don't use their faculty or reason to make decisions, and they're lost causes. Well, not lost causes, but in some, okay, okay, they're going to, they're going to make their blunders regardless of what happens. Regulation cannot save them. So there are certain regulations I think are fine. I mean, saying that, you know, you should be honest and transparent about what kind of car you're selling to, that's probably fine. Um, but, you know, I think it's my my responsibility, first and foremost, to look into the product and get it, to analyze it, to see if it's any good. And the government shouldn't be doing that for me. So I'm not saying have no government. Well, the government is. This is this is what I'm doing. So I'm running for mayor, I believe, in 2023. I'm going to announce it in January 2023 for sure. And what I'm going to go on is no kill shelters. And what I want to do is I because I believe the how uh, no kill animal shelters. But what, oh, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. what I'm saying is what I believe now with these with. Uh, this drug problem in society is I want to create a red light decriminalized zone for not all over where people could use drugs. And if there are issues, um, you know, people could have some sort of uh, a way to give them Narcan, give them some sort of opiate, you know, whatever it's reducing drug. I don't know the proper term of that, whatever the opiate stopper drug is. And, and you'd have a safe space and I think it would boost tour, tourism and you could have a government mandated where the problem is, listen, I worked for this TV show Cheaters for a long time. We catch people cheating. Oh, of, course, of course I know. Yeah. Joe, Joey Greco. Joey and, okay. Greco was and so the, I know my, Joey very well. Facebook friends of oh, them. Still, still friends of them. Sends me a birthday message every year. But so the, but the new host after him was this guy, Clark Gable. And his dad was, or his grandfather was Clark Gable from the movie Gone with the Wind, the famous Hollywood. Well, yeah, yeah. So this guy, Clark Gable, Died of a drug overdose. He he thought he thought he was taking normal pills like uh, uh, a Vicodin or something, you know, like normal yeah. pain pills, and had fentanyl. And this guy was a heavy user. Is what I'm saying. He knew he wasn't like a you know some high school kid at a rave that just tried a drug for the first time. 
He yeah, was he an was experienced that. guy. He knew what he was taking. And, and there's a lot of people that I guess I come from kind of an affluent neighborhood. I know families that, that were torn apart, like wealthy families. They, they don't have any problems in the world other than their kid is like a degenerate drug addict that have literally killed themselves on accident. So that's a problem that, that affects everybody. It doesn't matter what your socioeconomic Great. background is. And I think we should figure out a different solution than the war on drugs. And, and so we got to do the opposite of what we've been doing now. I think that we should decriminalize every drug. I don't, I don't believe in legalization for one reason. Legalization comes with a regime of regulation, and that leads to taxes. That leads to governments getting more money to do bad things, and I don't want that. So okay. I want decriminalization where you cannot be penalized for taking the substance and there's no taxation of the substance, right? People are like, well, legalize weed so you can tax it. No, I don't want more of my money going to government. They get enough of my money already with sales tax and income tax and payroll tax and all this damn, when I die, they tax death tax, estate tax. Death tax, dude, <laughs> why? How do they even justify that? <laughs> all these tax, so, you, so it's not, it's not. It's, the death tax is pretty... I can go on a whole animal count, but still. So I don't think the government has, first of all, taxation itself, you know, you know, libertarian answer. I don't really like taxation. I think that we need it, obviously, for practical reasons, but I don't like the way it goes about. If it was up to me, we would have a voluntary system in which everyone would contribute what they want. If you want a police force, you contribute money to that police force. If you don't, okay, well, you're just going to be off protection. And I promise you, most people would set up. Most, most folks these days want to have certain things, and they'd all be run by the government still, but imagine that. You would have more, the, the consumers would have more power over it. So you'd have a government police force, right? But you'd still be able to hold them accountable through the pocketbook, you know? And so th th there could be a lot of great things with voluntary taxation, but, you know, I don't want the government taxing weed or any other drug. I don't want that, no. So, no. Wow. Okay, but you, you talked earlier that you're against reparations, I believe, but shouldn't the government... Slavery. I know, well, slavery reparations, but uh, uh, what I'm saying is why couldn't the government give uh, uh, black people some property or at least or something? I mean, why couldn't that? Why is that such a bad? Is, I know that sounds crazy, Christine, but why? I guess that's a universal basic income. You know, it sounds so bad, but why not? Why does universal basic income sound that bad to me? It really, I mean, I guess you could say the conspiratorial side, people are going to plug into the metaverse and just crank it to porn all day and just sit in their apartment, but people kind of already do that. That's yeah, but Virtual what I'm saying, tax. is the universal basic income that evil? I mean, is that really that bad? I mean, I guess it is socialism. I just Well, it doesn't it so there's a few problems with UBI. It doesn't answer for inflation, um, which is uh, a very big problem. Um that's, that's an economic problem. Um more problem is that it assumes that, that we all deserve a basic amount of money. Okay. Let's let's say this is true. First of all, I have no idea what the moral grounds for that is. Actually, I do know what the moral grounds for that is. It comes from this idea of positive freedom, that we deserve freedom from want, freedom from lack. So I deserve health care or money or whatever because not having something is oppression. That's the idea. This is bullcrap. Freedom is not freedom to get something. Freedom is freedom from restraint, freedom from coercion, freedom from oppression. That's what freedom is. Freedom is what we call a negative quality. It exists regardless of what anyone else does. We are by our human nature free. The UBI rests on the moral ground that says, I am not by my human nature free, but I am free according to what society gives to me. And that is a lie. That is a lie that authoritarians use to justify their control over the people. And that is a lie that is not morally sound. 
So not only did UBI not keep up with inflation, it also doesn't have any moral basis to it. I can keep going on, but here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't think reparations is also morally justified because what you effectively were doing, you're punishing all the taxpayers for an action that none of them were a party to. The reason why the reparations in terms of Japanese were justified is because people were a party to what happened, you know, in the internment camps. And uh, I think that that justifies, you know, giving those poor people reparations for all the trauma they went to. Plus, people were alive as well. But there's not a single person alive right now who suffered slavery. And furthermore, if you were to give reparations for slavery, you would be doing something unjust, and that would perpetuate more injustice. What if it was just a little bit? But listen, this is what they would do. Could you imagine if you just gave every black person that even all they'd have to do is self-identify? You wouldn't even, you know, there'd be some cheaters, you know, some whatever. But listen, just listen. Notice how cool that'd be if you gave it. They gave everybody else twenty five hundred bucks. All they had to give is everybody like five hundred bucks. People would be like, awesome, because humans are so stupid. I'm saying, Christian, we are so dumb. It would. Oh, I'm surprised they don't do it to placate them because because like during the pandemic, they're like, oh, the government gave me sixteen hundred bucks. I live forever. Dude, I spent sixteen hundred bucks in a, a week. I mean, a couple days. I mean, sixteen hundred bucks is not that. I mean, it's yeah, it's not you're a rolling out. Well, I'm just saying. I mean, uh, whatever. Sixteen hundred bucks is is a month, not even for me. You know what I mean? Like seriously. Yeah. I mean, You're rolling, dude. You're rolling. I am rolling. I'm primetime 99. I mean, I'm not rolling in it that deep, but I mean, 1600 bucks. My rent was 1200 bucks. My last place. Yeah. I mean, listen, so like, yeah. I mean, yeah. dude. Rent. Okay. Uh, rent, but like, you just like spend that money on anything. Like, no, like, I'm talking about oh, like oh. your bills. And uh, dude, my, oh, my yeah. AC bill is 450 bucks. So, I mean, dude, it's like, how is 1600 bucks? I know that's a lot of money, but it's not in the big yeah, scheme of things. Much. It's not no. that much. So I'm saying, listen, I, I think that would be an insult if they said, oh, here, black people, we're going to give you $1,200. But I think that black people would be like, ah, we're going to the casino or whatever. I don't know why. Well, you know, they're like, we're going to turn it into $12 million. And a couple of people would, and it'd be a great story, and they'd get to go on Oprah, and they'd be like, I'm the guy that turned my reparations, and now I own uh, you know, Tony's Chocolate Factory, and it's like he has the oh, best chocolate candy in the world. It would be that he'd go on Shark Tank and he would sell his special custom chocolate, and it would it'd be a hit, and it'd be a great story for the reparations. And it was all because of Alex Stein got it through my mayor mayoral campaign through Dallas. Alex Stein ninety nine. Alex Stein ninety nine in twenty twenty three. What's it gonna be? We're gonna win, oh dog. God. We're gonna take it to the top, Christian. No. There's no stopping me. Ninety nine on the grind. No. No. Okay, but Christian, why don't you get into politics? I think you would be very effective. Uh, you know. You're your philosophical mindset and and also i think you have a very uh i, I don't even know how to describe it like a, a kind of a political mindset like i think you'd be fair i think you'd be like a judge type person you know because i saw you on the debate even when you got heated you're respectful and i i'm sometimes that would be my only issue as a politician i might kind of uh, i'm impulsive i don't think you're as impulsive as me i don't think you're that impulsive alex i mean i i i think i think okay here's what i see i could be wrong but you tell me if this is correct I see Alex Stein, the comedian, and then I see Alex Stein, the satirist. Ooh. So Alex Stein, the satirist, is a little bit more serious than Alex Stein, the comedian. Alex Stein, the although both of them tend to work in concert, because Alex Stein, the comedian, will be talking about, you know, Fauci, Alchi, and Primetime 99, and, you know, going and humping the floor and humping the air. And humping everything. Doing, humping everything, yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, but the satirist is the part that makes a political point. And like by by going into these meetings and doing what you do, you are exposing the the regularity of insanity, right? By going in and say and and like being 
completely absurd what you're saying. Well, you know, yeah, like my, my, my life with the, the, the breakfast buffet and everything. And people are just like listening to you and they're nodding along. You're just exposing how regular sincerity is. And that's what all good satire does, whether it's Shakespeare, whether it's Chaucer, whether it's, uh, what, 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 regardless of what wow, oh, Shakespeare oh, and Chaucer. Wow. Oh. All, all good satire is meant to make a point in a way that is disarming, in a way that you couldn't make through what I'm doing. I can't, I can't, like, through what I'm doing, you can, you can reach people, absolutely. But you can reach even more people if you tap into humor, because humor is that fundamental human element that we all have, no matter what we're doing. And so if you make someone laugh to your joke, but it's not even really that much of a joke, they're like, huh. Maybe there's something to this. Maybe he's speaking the truth. That's why I think you're particularly effective. Now, as for me, um, as a politician, that's not going to happen. But I'll tell you this much. I do want to become a political commentator. I want to work in political media, you know, to do what I'm doing, the podcast, the YouTube channel, things of that sort. Because I think that's where I can be the most effective. You'd be you have great. A I'm saying actors. you have a bright future. I want to hear what you have to say, but I'm saying literally, I'm telling you, this is the this is the problem with intersectionality. It takes away a lot of the stuff, you know, because now it's all about having the gay black Latino. But you should and listen, whether you call it affirmative action is bad or not, but Christian, because you are a unique person, you should use that in your favor and you should go out there and you should, you know, I think you're speaking a positive message that goes against the mainstream, you know, media. Or goes against the new world order, whatever you want to call the 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 beast, the the beast system. You are the antithesis of that. So that's why I'm saying it's like it's not just because you're you know you check these boxes, but you check the boxes that are like the ones they don't want checked. So that's why I think it's even more. It's like they want to keep me off YouTube. I can't say stuff. So that makes me want to be on YouTube more. Do you see what I'm saying? I don't want to give up. So it's like because they they want to say call you a black white supremacist, you should speak out more and say that's not even a real thing. That is a fake thing. Right. That is a label that right. you're putting on me because I'm going against everything you say and I prove you wrong. I'm the walking right. talking example of you being wrong. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And you know, I'm I'm I don't put my identity up there too much. I'm actually surprised you found out that I was gay. I wonder how you found how did you find that out? I'm you like, tweeted it. I would even I follow you on Twitter. You tweeted oh. somebody somebody insinuated something and you said as a gay man on your Twitter. Oh. I didn't want to out you. Yeah, you said that on oh, Twitter. Really? You- Interesting. No, yeah, I am I'm, I'm public about it. I mentioned yeah, it in yeah. my videos. I'm, I'm public about it. I'm just I don't talk about it that much because I don't want folks to put me in a box. Right. Because they'll, they'll say, okay, well, we Christian Watson has the black perspective. No, I have Christian Watson's perspective. Okay. And that's whose perspective I can only be accounting for because I can't account for what every black person thinks. Um, you know, everyone's different. Everyone has their own unique DNA and their own unique fingerprint. Um, but you know, I, when, when the time is proper, I will make mention of those things just to show how diverse opinions can be. Um, but, you definitely don't you know, rely yeah. on that. Yeah, no. If you if I'm putting out that, no, I would have had no idea except you said that. Honest to God, I said, "What it are was. your tweets?" And it, it wasn't a tweet. I think it was you replying to a tweet, and I think yeah. I followed maybe the same person. It was probably some debate, bro. Yeah. I think they said something to you, and you said, "Well, actually, I am gay." I think is what I saw. I believe. Yeah, but yeah. it's funny you don't put it out there, and so I'm not trying to say, "Oh, you're some," you know. It's just funny how. Uh, uh, I guess I found that out and that you don't put it out yeah. there because you don't want to be labeled like that from the start. I respect that yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And there's some, there are some, if you want to know the sign of a real grifter, uh, grifters, look at how much they emphasize their immutable characteristics. Look at how much they emphasize their race or their gayness or whatever. Look at how much. If it's in your face all the time, that person, you need to avoid them or study them, but study them with an eye of knowing who they are, who they are about. 
because that person thinks their most valuable thing to offer you are things they had no control over in the first place. Wow. That's pretty brilliant. Yeah. Well, that is because you're not supposed to worry about the things you can't control and people try to make exactly. the things you can't control everybody else's problem. That's really brilliant. Exactly. That's, that's, exactly. The, that's the problem. And, and I think the most valuable thing I can offer people is my philosophical analysis of current events and politics and society and culture. And I have had control over my ability to study those things and put work in, taking notes, doing all the kinds of I had to do. You know, I'm just, I'm just out of college really. And I think that uh, I, I didn't, I don't, I don't think I really learned that much um, in college. I learned a lot. I didn't learn anything in, in college. I got a degree. I'm saying I, I got, I got a general studies degree. I got three minors, sociology, yeah. uh, business and communication. Wow. So I, I use a little bit, but I'm saying I didn't learn anything. Oh, I, I regret, I mean, I learned a little bit. I regret not learning more in college, but I'm saying you only learn the stuff you're interested, I guess. And so that's right. why you were saying earlier, it's when you get people to question, then their inquisitive nature makes them crave knowledge. And that's where you have yeah. to get to that where you want to crave it. You're like, I want to find out. But humans yes. are just like, I don't want just you figure it out for me. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I am always like, just like you're always on the grind. I'm always on the grind for knowledge. And other, I mean, I used to be always on the grind at my channel too, but I, you know, I had to take off for school, but sorry, starting tomorrow, I'm going to be back on producing regular content. So I'm really excited about that. Um, but you know, that's my goal. I want to be a commentator. And since there are so many, out there who apparently all you need to have is an audience. I want to kind of up the ante and like not just have an audience, but have something to say to my audience that's going to about the benefit them, make their lives more valuable, hopefully. Well, add more value to their lives and make them more valuable. Add more value to their lives and hopefully give them a perspective they don't really hear about. But remember that's this, nice Christian, if you're going to get back into creating content a lot, then remember uh, perfection is the enemy of good. So don't like beat yourself up on making some perfect thing. I, people just want you, you know, that's what they want. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, give some slot, but I feel like you're talking mm -hmm. right now, like you're not going to create a bunch, but really at the end of the day, oh, I, I am going to create, create a bunch. Don't, you know, don't have any fear of judgment. Be unapologetically yourself because that's what people want the most. That's what I want from you as a fan of yours. So that's oh. what I'm personally asking. And I, and I think you have a bright future. I'm not just saying that to kiss your ass. Like I'm saying, just the, the, the few interactions we've had, I'm just like, well, this guy is, you know, a different breed than most people. You are on the grind. I can tell other grinders, you're a grinder. And that's why I like oh, you. Alex, you're, you're a very nice dude. Thank you. Um, and again, I appreciate your content. You know, this is a very dark world we live in. I have no, I make no bones about that. But there's, a, there's also a lot of light and a lot of laughter in the world as well. And I swear, almost every night I go to your channel to see what you posted this new. Wow. And, I have, I, I See, I, and I took today off. Like I took a day. I had a meeting at four that I was going to prank all this to Connecticut thing. And I'm like, I'm actually going to take two days off because I'm playing. This is why I was doing so many meetings and I can do a million meetings. This is my, this is my idea. First of all, I'm planning on some in-person meetings the next few days, but my idea is, is, and I'm going to put out two weeks and I'm going to try to make a prank narrative movie where I'm going to go try to be a fake lobbyist and I'm trying to get some sort of bill passed. And at the end of it, it's going to get passed and it's going to be this crazy movie. Like I'm going to do the wildest things in the meetings. Like I might get kicked out of the meetings. It's going to be like a Sasha Baron Cohen type movie. And it'll be insane because people are going to, it'll be like mixed with reality. It'll be like jackass or something like, and I won't, because what I want to say is I want to get people to crave my content enough where then I can put this movie out or it's going to be like an hour and a half. And it's going to be a narrative story of the meetings and it's going to be insane. I'm going to be like this, this, That's this, brilliant. 
I'm going to be I'm like this crazy. lobbyist that's on crack and I'm smoking weed before the meetings. I'm just going to be the biggest degenerate lobbyist. And at the end of the day, it's going to work out. It's all going to work out. So you guys already yeah. know what's going to happen in the movie. But that's it's still going to be worth watching because you're not going to know what's going to happen to the audience. Okay, tell the people where they can find you. And thank you so much for coming on, Christian. And what do you want to leave them with other than the brilliant uh, stuff you've already said? Oh, I just want everyone to know, be a courageous thinker, as I'm sure your audience already is. But be a courageous thinker. Be a fearless thinker. And also be a respectful thinker. Be respectful to ideas you may not have considered or ideas that may repulse you. And, you know, Herbert Spencer, one of my favorite philosophers, said there's an iota of good in all things evil, and there's an iota of evil in all things good. And it's our job to determine which is which, how the two relate, and how to work with them to create a better understanding of the world. So that's what I'll leave you with. Now, you can find me in a few places. On Twitter, Facebook, everywhere. And the links are in the description, just as your yes. Twitter and your channel are in the yeah. description. Sorry. Yeah, Twitter, at official C. Watson. That works for every other place. Instagram, I don't really use it very much. I'm going to start eventually. But at official C. Watson. And YouTube, you just type in Christian Watson. I should pop up. You should be able to find me there. Or in the links right there, it's going to be Christian Watson. It's my name. So thank you guys so much. And uh, Alex... Chris, you got to come on again. Okay. You I know, we'll do to. it again. We'll do it again very soon. You know, something's going to come up and a uh, modern day debate was in the chat. I didn't, and, oh, I want to say thank you, Pamela Palmer for the donation and thank you, Sam Bob. And, but modern day debate was in the chat. You know, are you a debate bro? Do you like to do debates, Christian? Not a debate bro, but I, I, I was, I'm not uh, a debate I, bro either, but uh, I debate. Uh, but but so I'm not a debate bro, but I was in my college debate team, and I did spend a lot of my you're life. You're a debate bro. You're a debate bro. Shut up. Oh my god, you're on the debate team. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you're a debate bro. See, I debate all the time. I don't like it. I actually in the debate. I just try to kind of come to some common ground. That's my debate. I, I, oh, used... I love to. Do... Yeah, I, I know you love it. Well, you need. Have you been on modern day debate yet? No. I gotta have James reach out. I'm gonna message him right now. Yeah. I don't know what he's he, he's always looking for some polit you know, some political he would I'm saying I guarantee he could use you for some debate that you would be oh. informed about. So guys, everybody go give a Christian a follow. Go uh go on his Twitter, say we sent you. And Christian, like I said, man, thank you for coming on. We're gonna do it again uh, soon. So uh you guys have a yeah. good one. 